Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Peter walked on water as well. He, even though he had failed, he still walked on water. When Jesus said, get back in the boat, oh, you of little faith, Peter probably could have said, yeah, but I'm the only one who did walk on water. I might have a little bit of faith, but I walked on water. As followers of Christ, we want to walk in the Spirit all the time. Peter had some great moments of not only walking on water, but walking in the Spirit, walking in faith. But he also had some terrible moments of failure that came from following his flesh. Take heart today that God's mercies are new every morning. They are never ending for those who love him and seek his ways. With 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. There are two verses that I want to start with as we look at the book of 2 Peter, and both of them are in chapter 1, and they help us to kind of understand where Peter is going. The first one is in verse 8. It says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is possible to have a knowledge of our Lord and still be barren and not fruitful. It's possible to have all the wisdom and knowledge that comes from the pages of Scripture and not apply them in our lives. And what we want most of all, I speak for myself and I I think I can speak for you as well, is we want our lives to count. We want our lives to matter. We don't want to get to the end of our lives and reflect back and wonder what it was all about. We want people to be touched. We want people to be drawn to Christ. And we want people to be given eternity. Which brings us to the second verse, which is verse 11. It says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If I were to choose a theme verse for the book of 2 Peter, that would be the theme verse for the book. That what Peter wants for you is a abundant entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That some noise is made when we get there. That when we walk into heaven, there are those there that we have influenced for the sake of the gospel. Maybe we planted seeds in their lives. Maybe we watered those seeds. Maybe we harvested and helped them in committing their lives to Jesus. But that when we enter into eternity, that there would be, there is, and whatever your name is, and people would all rally around you and slap you on the back and congratulate you for such an entrance into heaven. The last thing we really want is to barely make it in. Have to have our shoulders greased up and somebody thump us on the back to be able to make it into heaven. Or to kind of get there and put the flames out because we barely escaped the other place. Have somebody screaming, stop, drop, and roll. (laughs) Or maybe worse yet, we just walk into heaven and there's nobody that notices us there. Our lives were lived in such a way here that we indulged ourselves in the things of the world here We were worldly, but we were saved. We entered into heaven, but we lived our lives in such a way that as we go into heaven, there's no abundant entrance. It's just an entrance. 
And I'm so glad that it's not all done yet. I'm so glad that right now we have time for us to be able to have that abundant entrance into heaven. Now, if you were to take first and second Peter and look at them, you would see that first Peter deals with outward persecutions and what they do to us inwardly, how outward struggles and outward persecutions do God's work inside of each one of us. Second Peter deals with inward struggles so that we can become the men and women that God wants us to be. First and second Peter are both incredibly practical books that come from the big fisherman that was called by Jesus and who uh, Jesus named from Simon to Peter. And I'm glad that it's a, a practical, practical book. So I'm glad that this section of scripture, in fact, from James, 1 Peter and 2 Peter are very practical. It starts off in a little different way. And I think it's worth noting that it starts off differently. In 1 Peter, just flip back a few pages and look at it. The first line of 1 Peter, Peter introduces himself, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice he just gave Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's the way he starts it. That's the way he starts the book that deals with the external attacks coming against the church. But when he turns around and writes the book about the internal struggles, false doctrines that will arise, and the internal struggles in individuals, he starts off with this. Back to 2 Peter verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Christ. There are two differences there between the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Number one, he gives his old name and his new name, Simon Peter. You remember that when Jesus was introduced to Simon, Jesus said, you are Simon. By the way, the word Simon means heard or, or the one who hears. He said, you are Simon. You are the one who hears. But from now on, you will be Peter, the rock. And by the way, the word for Peter there is not Petra, which is a big, uh, solid foundational rock, but it's Peter, which means a rock. It doesn't mean a pebble, just so you know that. It just means a rock. He named Peter Rocky. <laughs> I don't know if it sounded like Rocky at all. <laughs> Seems the more movies Sylvester Stallone does, the less I can understand him. <laughs> but did he say something there? <laughs> Jesus named him Peter, and from time to time, he would call him Simon again to remind him of his flesh, to remind him that sometimes he was in the flesh and sometimes he was in the spirit. And it's as if Peter, when he wants to talk to us about eternal struggles, not being men and women that are led by the flesh, men and women that want to set our hearts and our minds upon God, it's as if Peter says, I'm right there with you. I want you to remember that I'm Simon. I want you to remember that I too have made mistakes. God's mercies are so wonderful towards us. And if anybody knew that, Peter knew that. Because I'll guarantee you that Peter could stand in front of you and say, I denied the Lord to my shame. That's what Simon reminds us, that Peter didn't always walk in the spirit. Peter was the disciple that had the highest highs and the lowest lows. He is the one that walked on water. 
I heard someone say not long ago, there was, there was one person who walked on water in a, it was a Hollywood movie that said it. It was a line in a movie. Will Smith said it, by the way. There was one who walked on water. And as I am often prone to do when they talk about the Bible, I talked back. There was actually two, I said, two <laughs> who walked on water. Peter walked on water as well. Even though he had failed, he still walked on water. When Jesus said, get back in the boat, oh, you of little faith, Peter probably could have said, yeah, but I'm the only one who did walk on water. I might have a little bit of faith, but I walked on water. He starts this book off by saying, Simon, Peter, I am Simon and I struggle, but I am Peter by the grace and the mercy of the living God. And then he says, before he says an apostle, which he does come to an apostle, which gives him the authority, but before he comes to apostle, he says a bond servant. He's writing to Christians that are all around Rome. He's writing to Jews and he's writing to Gentiles. He's writing to slaves and free people. Do you know that during the days that the book of 2 Peter was written, one out of every four people were a slave in the world? In that part of the world, one out of every four? And the word bondservant simply means a slave by choice. It's hard for us to fathom such a thing. Somebody who's free, but who would go and say, I will be your slave forever. They would take that individual to the doorpost of their house and they would put an awl on their ear and they would run it through their ear and then they would put an earring in their ear and the earring was a sign of being a bond servant by choice. There are several reasons why someone would become a bond servant. One of them, they just, you know, were struggling in life and decided that there was a certain family that they wouldn't mind working for, a certain individual that they wouldn't mind being a servant of. So they gave themselves up as a bond slave. It happened frequently in the Roman era. It happened a lot. There were other times when slaves were set free, but their families weren't set free. And so they weren't able to be with their wives and they weren't able to be with their children. And so they made themselves a bond slave. When Peter says, Simon Peter, a bond servant, he's saying, I was free. I was free to go anywhere I wanted to go. I was free to do anything that I wanted to do but I chose to be a servant of the living God. You and I are free. We're free to go wherever. You say, oh, I don't like being a Christian. Well, you're not chained here. You're not stuck here. If you don't want to be a Christian, then don't. But you say, well, I really want to be one. Well, good. That's what it's about. It's about us saying, I am a bond servant of the living God. So he says, Simon, Peter, a bond servant and an apostle of Christ, which is what gives him his authority to be able to give scripture. And out of all people, Peter, an apostle, Peter chosen to be given authority. And during the time when this was written, which is in the last years of his life, second Peter was one of the last books to be written. It was the last book for Peter to write during the last days of his life that he would know that he had been chosen by Jesus to be an apostle. He then says in the middle of verse one, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, not to the Jews, not to the Gentiles, not to male, not to female, not to slave, not to free, but to anyone that has obtained like precious faith. The precious faith that he had received, the precious faith that you and I have, something that is incredibly valuable, valuable to give us eternal life. He says, 
again, to those who have obtained a like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How is it that you and I have obtained this like precious faith? By the righteousness of Christ, not by our own righteousness. Not because you and I have pulled it together and become the men and women that we're supposed to be, and so we've made it into heaven. It's that we become the men and women that we're supposed to be because of the righteousness of Christ that has been placed upon me. That it is his righteousness that gives us that entrance into heaven, not our own righteousness. The Bible says that we have been saved by grace through faith, not of any works lest any man should boast. No one will brag upon that entrance into heaven, but it is by the righteousness of Jesus that it has been given to us. And then note that it says there at the end of verse one, and here we are in the very first verse, and Peter just makes this statement. He says, to those who have obtained a like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no other way to word that. When you go back to the original language, he calls Jesus God. There's no way around it. There's no manipulating it. There's no saying, well, in other places, the, the way that the Greek language is worded, in other places, this could mean God and Savior, Jesus Christ, as in different people. It can't be happened. The way it's worded here is God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter just comes out and says, Jesus Christ is both God and Savior. He's our God and he is our Savior. If by some chance you are still struggling with the concept or idea that Jesus is God, then you have to deal with it. It was Thomas who fell down before Jesus and called him and worshiped him and called him my Lord and my God. There are several places in scripture where Jesus is worshiped. In several places in scripture where he's called God, like John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And John chapter one, verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of the father by the only begotten of the father. That is the word became flesh. Jesus is called God. And so the Jehovah Witnesses say, well, there's an article A there in the beginning, in the first verse. In the beginning was the word and the word was a God, they say. There's no article A there, by the way. They just changed it in their Bibles. There's no article in the Greek. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And as a Christian, if somehow you haven't dealt with this issue, if somehow you still think, well, I just don't know. I think Jesus was a good man. I think he was a good teacher. I think he was a good prophet. But I don't know that he's God. Then you really got to put everything else aside. And you got to deal with that issue. This is an issue you have to deal with. The scriptures teach Jesus as God. And if you serve a Jesus that is not God, then you are serving another Jesus. You are serving a different Jesus. By the way, if you're really struggling with it, and again, I love that Peter doesn't defend it at all. Peter just makes the statement. But if you are struggling with it, I suggest reading Revelation chapter one. Look at the one who is almighty God. One day I was... Uh, this is way back before I was married. I was over at Lisa's house and the Jehovah Witnesses had come to the door and I, I showed them Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And so I showed them, this is the child being born. It's Jesus. And they said, yes. I said, it says he's Mighty God. And they said, yeah, it says he's Mighty God, but he's not Almighty God. So we argued about that a little bit and then they went down the road. I went and opened up to Revelation chapter one 
And I read there, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the almighty God. And it's Jesus who's speaking. And I got back in my car and I chased him down. <laughs> when they saw me parked in front of the house that they were knocking on the door on, I could just tell they wanted to get out of there. They were like, oh no, there's that guy again. Revelation chapter one is strong proof that Jesus is God. And here he just simply says, the righteousness of our God and Savior. I spent so much time talking about him being God that we just go over Savior. He is our Savior. We needed saving. All of us have gone astray. There's none that does good, no, not even one. The Bible says in the book of Romans, there's no one who even seeks after God. If you've sought after God at all, it's because God called you and chose you. When the angels gave the announcement to the shepherds out in the field, born unto you today in the city of David, a savior. Later on, when Mary wrote her song and recorded it, it's recorded for us in the book of Luke, she spoke of her need for a savior. What a dichotomy for her that the son that she would bear and bring up would be her savior and she would speak of him. Now he goes on to say in verse two, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now grace and peace is the way that most books open up. The grace of God abounding towards us, that undeserved favor. The Bible says that God will not be a debtor to anyone. And whatever you do, because God has said that you would do it and you would receive it, God will give it to you. But I'm so glad that God doesn't interact with us based upon what we do, but upon his grace, because grace is that undeserved favor. I would rather just forego anything God owes me and just receive his grace because the Bible speaks of the grace of God abounding towards us. God's grace abounding. If he gives me wages for what I do, then he's just got to pay me the wages. When you work for your boss, does your boss generally throw in some extra money into your wages? Do you guys have that experience? Maybe around Christmas time, maybe a little bit of bonus, maybe not. Most of you, you work and you put down your hours and you get paid exactly what you worked, right? God doesn't do that. God brings grace. And along with that grace, there's a peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Notice he didn't say grace and peace be added to you, but multiplied to you, abound towards you in the knowledge of God. Now, this is a key word. He's going to return to that word again several times in chapter one, in the knowledge of God. I brought it up when I started off by reading in verse eight. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here again, in verse two, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In verse three, he goes on to say, and as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. His divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. That is such an incredible promise in the pages of scripture. His divine power has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that you guys need in our lives, everything that we need for godliness has been given to us by God. We do not have to travel to Tibet to find some philosophy 
that will help us on our entrance into heaven. We don't have to gain philosophy from some other individual around the world. Everything we need for life and godliness comes from him. Now, we might not be able to look in the Bible and see how to wrap up a bone for it to heal or, or how to handle someone that's got a kidney disease. And so some people say that all truth is God's truth and, and there's truth that's outside of the Bible and we can go all around the world and we can discover truth that's going to help us out. But everything that I need for life and for godliness has come from God. It's like 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture has been given by the inspiration of God is profitable for reproof, for correction and for doctrine that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. He put it two ways. He said that we receive the word of God, which thoroughly equips us and we lack in nothing. Either one of those would have worked. He could have said so that you lack nothing or he could have said so you're thoroughly equipped. It's saying both the same thing, just a different way. But he wanted to put both of them there so that you and I would know that if we have God's word and what we find in the pages of scripture, then we will be thoroughly equipped and we will lack in nothing so that everything that we have comes from God for life and godliness. Now, I have a question for you. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that everything that you need for life and godliness, everything that you need to be fulfilled and happy, Everything that you need in your life, do you really believe that it comes from God? That if you just take all of what God has for you and the scriptures that God has for you, that your life will be rich and full, that you'll find yourself entering into heaven and look back upon your life and be happy with what you find? I'm glad I'm getting a lot of nods, but I also think there's a lot of Christians that don't really believe that. There's a lot who believe that the world has something to offer. I got saved when I was 14 years old and uh, kind of wishy-washy in my faith. When I walked away from the Lord and came back to him, there was a sense that he has everything that I need. When I was a teenager and all I knew was the church, I'd grown up in the church. Then I got saved in the church I used to think that the world had something out there that I would like. It was like when I was a kid and I really wanted to bowl. My, for whatever reason, my parents wouldn't let me bowl. I don't know why, but I really wanted to bowl. And so when I got to be 16, 17 years old, I started bowling. You know what I discovered? I don't like bowling. <laughs> I thought for sure I would. Thought I would love it. But I don't like it. There were things out in the world that I thought, oh man, there's something out there. There's something out there that I need. I walked away from the Lord for a year and God showed me that there was nothing in the world that I needed. Even when I came back to him, I had decided to come back because I was driving down the road and everything had been taken from me. God had taken everything from me when I backslid. And I was driving down the road and a song came on and I've shared this before. It was a song by Love Song called Little Pilgrim. Little Pilgrim walking down the road of life. Can't you see that there are many others that are just like you? And you take a little turn to the left and you see what that road has to offer you. And you got to make it back to the main road anyhow. And you've got all that lost time to make up for. God used that song to speak to me that I'd taken a turn to the left and I needed to come back. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.